Hi, welcome to the Texas Family Law Podcast. I'm Laura Hayes, partner in our Dallas office at Fox Rothschild, and I'm here today with our guest speaker, Dr. Ryan Malfers, as well as my associates, Jamie Lee Denton and Aaron Garza. Uh, Ryan, Dr. Ryan Malfers is a jury consultant and litigation spe- specialist with Delphi Litigation Strategies who specializes in training witnesses and he works extensively in family law as well as complex commercial litigation and IP litigation across the country. Welcome, Ryan. Thanks for having me, Laura. Thanks for joining us today. So I think one of the biggest questions we might have is what is a jury consultant? Sure. Um, the, the, the term jury consultant generally refers to somebody who picks a jury. Uh, and that it's, it's expanded within our profession as, uh, as now kind of a term that's kind of a trial consultant. And that may be anybody from the trial tech that runs the graphics to the graphic artist that's there. Um, all of those sometimes fall under the umbrella of jury consultant, but the, you know, what I prefer, the more accurate terminology is somebody who comes in and actually picks the jury. They have experience picking the jury and assisting the attorney in that process. They usually have backgrounds in psychology or communication. Um, some have backgrounds in theater. Uh, others have backgrounds in sociology. So there's no real um, credentialing process in our industry. It's really those individuals that have typically uh, a professional or graduate degree and then experience within the field. That makes sense. And Texas is one of the few states that allows jury trials for family law related cases. But I don't think that a lot of our potential litigants realize just how important it is to select the right jury and how that can have a major effect on whether it's your custody case or a property division, depending on which you're going to trial. But it's really important to analyze the jury and not just leave it to random selection. It really is. I mean, the, the science around jury selection is a really critical process that's been integrated into uh, the legal industry, and it's become very helpful to identifying how you're trying your case and what is going to resonate within certain strata of the population. Um, really, the, the process of jury selection is about deselecting the dangerous jurors and identifying those dangerous jurors and removing them. Because as much as we're identifying who's favorable for us in the panel, in all likelihood the opposition is going to be removing those folks that are favorable um, if they're keen in on our voir dire questions or they've done their own jury research to develop the profile. But um, it, it's important to identify who's going to be dangerous because if your if your case issues and your themes are not resonating or they are um, causing angst among certain jurors, those jurors are going to be working against you within the deliberation process and can derail kind of what could otherwise be a successful verdict. So that process of, of knowing who could be favorable, who could be unfavorable is really a critical process when you're going into jury selection. And if you don't have the ability to conduct jury research through a mock trial or through community attitude surveys, there's ways in which you can um, look at uh, pre-existing models that might overlay your case or certain strategic voir dire questions that can identify who may be favorable, who may be unfavorable, or at least what individuals may be dangerous um, and may be leaders in your case. For example, I really like to ask during voir dire who holds leadership positions within a community um, or who considers themselves to be a leader because that's a very easy way for me to identify within a jury who is likely going to be a leader in um, that deliberation. And then if they are going to be a leader, are they going to be favorable or will they be a risk for us? If they're going to be a risk for us and they're a leader, in all likelihood we want to remove them from the panel because we don't want to roll the dice with a leader, right? Um, We don't want to take a risk in that area. So 
there's kind of some interesting dynamics once we get into voir dire that can then, there's some key questions that'll identify which jurors are favorable for you, which jurors may be dangerous for you, but it really depends upon kind of the case posture at that time. Right, and you mentioned something about mock trials and some other pretrial preparation. So your work is not just selecting the actual jury when you actually get to trial. You can actually, you can do a lot of preparation work um, thinking about obviously which jurors you want to select or deselect, as you said, but you know, running through mock trials and that kind of thing. Can you explain what, what that process is? Sure. A mock trial is an opportunity for uh, the attorneys to put on and test their case to a group of individuals that will act and um, represent a potential jury in a matter. And so uh, it's very common for us to. Um, in many of our cases, conduct a 24 to a 36 person panel mock trial. And then from that 24 to 36, jurors listen to presentations over the course of a day to three days, and then they vote um, their own personal position after each presentation. Who are you leaning? Who are you supporting at this time and why? Plaintiff or defendant? And we track that throughout the presentations so that at the end of the day, we then will cross filter those individuals to pair them with opposing individuals, plaintiff jurors, defense jurors, and then provide them with the verdict form to deliberate over. So we'll break a group of 24 into three groups of eight, we'll take a group of 36 and break them up into four groups of nine, and they'll actually deliberate over a verdict form. And we'll record that deliberation and you can actually toggle back and forth between different groups and watch it as it's occurring live. And the great part about this is it's a way for the attorneys to actually scientifically, and and by scientifically I mean in the social science research side of systematically testing your arguments, testing your themes to a group of people, and finding out how that resonates. It may be that certain key evidence or key themes that you thought were going to sell actually aren't resonating with that group of jury, with that group of individuals, and, and here's why. Um, maybe it takes a, a tweaking of the argument, maybe, maybe it takes um, a complete reformatting of it, but from the attorney side, it's a great way to identify how your case is resonating with jurors, how you may need to adjust it. Um, and from the jury consultant side, it's a great way to be able to offer you feedback, but also learn what individuals within that jury may or may not be dangerous for us, may be favorable for us, and identifying Bordier questions to draw those out. Yes. Fascinating, and I think it would help the litigants too because a lot of our clients come in and they say, Oh, this is the best that you have to focus on. This you have to focus on, you know, they'll have a specific document or a specific uh, circumstance or an event that happened during the course of the marriage or the custody litigation. They, they want us, us, the lawyers, to focus on that. But sometimes, if you do these mock trials or pre plant, you realize that the jurors don't really care about that particular event that our particular client thinks is so important. And we can, that can help us kind of focus on more, the factors that the jurors will find much more important and could ultimately help us win the case, obviously. Yeah, and, and conversely, uh, evidence that they don't think is that impactful, mm-hmm. right? Um, recorded conversations that include, you know, curse words and, you know, unfortunate, uh, you know, pictures of unfortunate situations, right, or compromising positions. Some people just don't believe that those are are of um, great consequence. And so this is a great time to actually test that and see how it resonates. Um, I, I would also say it's a good way for your clients to learn how messy the litigation process is, because as much as as much as our clients see justice as the final product and 
believing they're going to get all their attorney's fees and believing they're completely right, as soon as you put it in the hands of 10, 12, 36 strangers, they start hearing feedback that can be helpful to let them know that they may want to consider resolving this case or reaching some settlement terms that uh, that they can live with rather than having a complete victory or complete win. Because in almost all litigation, it's very rare to have a complete victory. Absolutely. Um, and it, it's challenging to be able to obtain that final goal. And I think many people enter the space of litigation thinking, I'm gonna get everything I want. The other side is absolutely wrong. The uh, the law is uh, is behind, is with me, and there's no way that this can go any other way. Right, I, you're absolutely right when you said it's very rare that one person wins, it, you know, everything that they want to win in a trial. But I think that goes to why we would want to get someone like you involved early on in the case because it's not just that you can help the jury selection. I mean, that's obviously very important if the case does go to a jury or, like you said, gets close to a jury that can help us settle. But starting out hiring someone like you or hiring you as a what it can help us get to that point much earlier on without spending as much money um, or before you get to such a point where there is a point of no return. Because sometimes if you get that close to a trial, the other side's not willing to settle because they have the same theory of, oh, we're going to win. We have such a good case. And then, you know, you're spending all this money. But if you come in early on, you can help with... Um, you know the preparation and the strategy from the very beginning there's a lot that goes into preparation before you get to the jury trial i mean witness training i think is one of the most important things that not as many family lawyers do with their clients and you can see that when you first go to court who's been trained and who hasn't and sometimes there's some training that the clients don't realize it because they want their voice to be heard they want their day in court but really preparing the client for the first time they are in court whether that's right in the beginning case or not until the trial is so important. Yeah, I think, um, I think it's important for folks to understand that jury consultants have sometimes, be see- have sometimes been seen as this additional cost or uh, an exotic creature that, that you kind of trot out to, uh, to help either save your case um, or help pick the jury when we're finally at the end. But what most experienced attorneys who've worked with jury consultants and, and folks that have backgrounds in training witnesses is they realize that the foundation of the case is really laid um, with, with the very first utterances of a client. And that might be at a temporary orders hearing for, for family law cases, it might be in a deposition within kind of the more traditional civil law cases, but it's a, it's a place where the, the success of a trial will begin at that first stage. Um, and for attorneys, we, we've now been seeing that those attorneys that, that we're working with uh, on a routine base, basis are using our services as kind of a force multiplier for their own firms to be able to say, look who we will bring in, look who we will staff to make sure that you, the client, are well taken care of. And that's a very different, they're using it as a way to differentiate themselves mm-hmm. from other firms. And it's been a very wise decision because there are ways that we can come in and help a case and get it resolved in a much easier fashion for the client than going all the way to trial or getting called on the eve of trial and having a bad deposition played and then having to present somebody with a very different demeanor in the court. And now we face the issue of behavioral consistency and the jury is seeing, well, here's one person and how they're presenting 
but suddenly they're a different person when they're on the stand now, and, and who are we going to believe? Well, they're oftentimes going to defer to that deposition as the real person because they, you know, they're not being polite and the judge wasn't there, and so this is the actual genuine person. It's hard to fight against that when we get to trial. Right, and I know the cases we've worked on, I mean, some, like you said, some of the clients are un, are, don't realize how important it is to get you involved in the beginning of the case because they think it's an added expense and, oh, we don't need that, and, oh, we're not going to go to trial, we're going to settle. But I know for a fact that the cases where the clients have been hesitant from the beginning to bring you in and then we have to, whether it's because of a poor deposition or a poor performance in temporary orders or because we're getting closer to trial and they finally realize we need a jury consultant or a witness trainer, then it's sort of it's a lot harder to repair the damage that already has been done. It's possible, but it's a lot harder. Whereas if you had been brought in and that expense had been uh, incurred from the beginning, it wouldn't be such so much damage control as it would be staying proactive and being, you know, on top of things from the very beginning. Yeah. And we might, we might not even be at that point of trial, right? Which is really important. I think for, for many clients to understand oftentimes our involvement in a case early is is less than five thousand dollars from talking to the attorneys meeting the client spending some time with witness training and getting um and and getting them understanding kind of what what i call the litigation game ryan you mentioned the word game and i think that's a good a good way to describe the process i mean i've seen you our clients have to learn how to play the game because being in a courtroom is kind of like being in a theater it's a performance it's a it's a way you present yourself and I've seen you work with clients who are very timid timid and you build the confidence so that they can present themselves well in a courtroom and not act so timid and shy and I've also seen you work with clients who have a much more aggressive and assertive personality and they need to tone that down a little bit we're in the courtroom so I've seen you work with both and it makes a huge difference because it's all about the presentation and how the litigants appear in front of whether it's the judge, the jury, or opposing counsel. Yeah, I, I think what many witnesses don't understand is that there are rules for how they should behave that uh, that the judge expects of them, and there are rules for how they have to behave that opposing counsel expects of them and that you expect of them. And the legal communication environment is has very specific rules, and it's why I like the analogy of a game, or it's why I like the analogy of a theater, because they have a part to play, um, and their part is important, but it's not always as critical as they think it is. And sometimes they think, I need to argue with opposing counsel. I need to tell the judge what I think is right or wrong. And all of a sudden they're confusing the roles or confusing the game. And so I found it to be very effective to be able to explain the game to them, to teach them how they need to have, how they need to perform, how they need to behave in that environment so that they're not confusing the legal environment with their professional environment, or they're not confusing the legal environment with their personal at-home environment, or they're not confusing the legal environment with um, how they how they fight with their spouse or how they argue with their friends. It's a very different type of communication process that they have to learn. Once they learn that process, once they learn their role and their part um, in this case, things begin falling into place. It makes things much easier. Uh, it makes it easier for you as the attorney. It makes the it makes the lawsuit that much easier. It makes the process of resolving it far easier um, because they now understand from kind of a meta outside position of what's actually occurring. So often they come into this with the law and order, this is justice, here's what people need to hear, this is right, this is wrong, versus understanding the game, the theater, the strategy that goes into it. Right, and one of the things I love about working with you, Ryan, and the way you work with our clients is that 
you know, clients don't necessarily want to come in. They want to air all the dirty laundry of their spouse, but they don't want to necessarily admit their own skeletons. And when you're working with our clients and working with the process and explaining how to communicate and teaching them and practicing with them in a in the you know one-on-one environment or if the attorneys are present, sometimes they're willing to give you more information that they're hesitant to give us. And of course, once you share that with us, we're able to build the strategy, a different strategy or perhaps, you know, learn how we need to approach a skeleton we didn't know existed. And I, I find that that's happened in, I think, pretty much every case that I've worked with on you is the client has shared something with you, if not many things with you, that they had previously not shared or didn't think was important that ends up being one of the most important factors in either our case against the other side or how to protect our client against that particular fact. Yeah, I, I think it's really important. You all, as the attorneys, have... Um, have a very professional space that you occupy and you're trying to get facts to establish kind of the different arguments you're going to make. But I come from it almost as a as kind of a, a therapist side or as a sounding board of, of listening to the person so that I can learn their communication patterns. But in that, it's also important for them to uh, trust me and to provide me with information so I can help them when I, in different environments of stress, or when there's certain things that are getting under their skin and we need to talk about it. Um, and, and so I have found it helpful for me to share my background. And I went through a, an awful divorce process and uh, as a child. And um, growing up, I had uh, my father who ended up being abused by his, his, his wife, who was not my mother, but was kind of the woman that he then married. The house was burned down, the children were taken away from him and put into state foster care. I mean, I share with them, you know, a very colorful story in many ways to simply say, hey, look, you know, everybody has kind of screwed up lives. Yeah, we show up here in suit and tie and coat and tie and um, we're, we're here and from Dallas, but it doesn't mean that we haven't had a colorful background. So whatever you're going through, um, I've been through parts of it and I want you to know that I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, and that's okay. And so I think breaking down those boundaries and just sharing parts of yourself, because I'm asking them to tell them some of the most intimate portions of their life. And I feel like I'm investing a portion into them and they're investing a portion into me. And I think that's a different role than professionally what you all have to have to serve as attorneys. There are important kind of boundaries and there are important boundaries with my roles as well, but it's important for them to trust me and to provide me with information and then of course for me to provide you all with that information because it doesn't help if I hear information that is then not transmitted to you all so that's kind of the critical component as well that's important right absolutely and you you have the perspective of a like you said a more psychological therapist type background whereas you know I can share yes I'm a single mom I've been through divorce and I raised my kids so I understand I can share that level of detail but it's not my role and I can't share as much detail with my personal life because I'm there to protect the client and they're billing by the hour whereas you you're in the environment to to help them and to share with them and say if you share these intimate details it helps me protect you to build the strategy and the story and how we're going to present it to either in the deposition or to the judge or to opposing counsel, whichever way it may be, and helps build that necessary uh, safe environment for the client to share those details that, that, of course, at the end of the day helps us as the lawyers. Yeah, and, and I think it's, it's important to understand that in litigation and in family law in general, the words that a witness uses 
the communication that they use will define their lives in profound ways that it doesn't occur in any other type of civil litigation. I mean, when you think about what happens in a family law case, it defines a future for your children, defines a future for your finances, defines the house you're living in, how you're going to interact with, the, with your children for the next you know, X, Y, and Z number of years. Um, they're the most consequential words that you may ever speak in your entire life. And so we try to tailor our communication process to what skills people have, um, identify kind of what short, shortcomings they may have so that um, you're able to make somebody into somebody who can speak comfortably. They may not be a Barack Obama, they may not be a Ronald Reagan, but they can certainly speak and you can provide them with framework, frameworks to be able to explain their case in an approachable fashion so that they don't get flustered, so that there's not the cognitive flooding that they're experiencing when opposing counsel is uh, is bearing down on them. There's ways that they can manage this and, and kind of get through it so it can result in a successful outcome. Right, and in family law cases, and well, I guess any litigation has an emotional component, but especially in family law cases. And like you said, the decisions that are made in the family law case can are, do affect the rest of these our litigants' lives. And so, again, I think that goes back to why it's so important to get you involved from the get-go because in a lot of our cases, when you go into temporary orders, which usually occur within a couple of weeks of filing or within 30 days or so, those decisions that are made in the temporary orders direct the rest of the litigation. That's not necessarily how it's going to end up, but it does. it's how things are going to be throughout the litigation, whether that lasts for a couple months or even a couple years, depending on how high conflict the case is. But even then, those decisions that are made by the court at temporary orders, it's usually the substantial majority of how the case ends up. Not always. There are cases where things flip and change entirely, but it at least provides the borders and the guideline for how the judge is going to rule ultimately. So if, if, you, if our clients are prepared in advance and prepared for those early on hearings or early depositions or um, and, and they know what the process is and they're comfortable with not defending themselves because that's one of the biggest things that's you know we, we, we in regular conversation we're used to defending ourselves we're saying yes but I only did that because or something along those lines and it's so important not to do that but it's it, it's learning a completely different way to communicate when you're in the courtroom versus when you're in your standard conversations. Yeah, I think I think that's right. And one of my friends likes to say that that lawsuits are a race for credibility. Um, and I think that is uh, is more so true in family law cases than anything else. When it's a he said she said situation, and the judge or the jury has to ultimately make a decision as to who they believe and and who or where are the kids and the assets and X, Y, and Z going to go to. And Family law makes a, a unique situation because of these temporary order situations, like you said, where the judge sort of has a litmus test for how can I have these people successfully interact with each other. And if over the course of 18 months, the temporary orders have been successful, then that may be the guideline that the judge is most likely going to go with because it's resulted in success already. Right. So um, the race to credibility factor is really critical in, in the family law cases. Ryan, you have so much information to share, and we want to make sure our clients and potential clients absorb all of this information. Thank you for sharing the importance of a jury consultant in a family law case and introducing us to the strategies behind witness training for the beginning of a case. This is a great stopping point for part one of our series of two. Please stay tuned for part two, where Dr. Ryan Malfers joins us in discussing all of the nuances of witness training, testifying in person and on Zoom, and how to present yourself most effectively to a judge or a jury.